Trials and tribulations, life can get rough. And through the storm, we'll make it. Just put your trust in Him. No matter what you're going through, I know that I'll never leave you. You feel that you can't take no more. You may think you've seen it all. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Get Happy with Jay podcast. I'm your host, Jatan Woods. Loving our theme song, it's Get Happy by Jeremy Rain. Hit him up on all social media outlets and show him some love. Now on to today's episode. I have a first-time guest who happens to be a millennial, this often talked about but seldom understood group of young people. For some reason, as older folks can't seem to understand, but as it turns out, most of them, like our guest today, are intelligent, thoughtful beings who have a lot to say and even more to contribute. Richie Crowley is a writer and speaker with unique ability to capture and connect with audiences. So welcome, Richie. And let's start with you telling us a little bit more about yourself. Thank you. Thank you, Jatana. I'm, I'm uh, excited to be in conversation with you and um, to everyone out there listening as well. Yeah, a bit about me. So I'm, I'm new to Los Angeles. I moved out here um, December 2nd of 2018, and I'll kind of recap all the events that have led up to this. I grew up in Boston, Massachusetts, just outside in a town called Canton, a very sports and academic focused environment. In my late teens, I was the captain of the United States national team for ice hockey, and then I went to Brown University, and I played ice hockey there, and I took two degrees, one in econ, one in political science. So everything was shaping up the way someone would probably have drawn it out when I was born. They'd be like, okay, he's, he's checking off the milestones. And when I graduated, all my friends took jobs in New York, in Boston, in D.C., in San Francisco. And I boarded a plane for France, and I moved to Europe for the next three years because my childhood dream was to play professional ice hockey, Mm -hmm. and that's where the opportunity for me was. So I jumped over there and lived, played, won, participated in that life for for the next three years. And then when I was 25, I kind of hit this panic button. I felt that I was behind against my peers, and I'm hearing some of them getting promoted, you know, making six-figure salaries, some getting engaged, others purchasing homes, and there I was in a shared apartment in that Dolomites of Italy. And I was like, wow, I don't, I'm scared. What happens when I go back and have to get a job? So I ended hockey, um, came back to the States, and had a job in Boston for a little bit. And after about a year and a half, two years of that, I really started coming into what I'm focused in now, which is I want to be sharing ideas. I want to be creating ideas. I want to be implementing them. I want to be working with brands, um, strategy, but I also wanted to promote my writing, my poetry, my speaking, and really champion this idea that we don't need to be in constant competition, that Mm -hmm. we can actually be in an alliance. And I do believe that, like, through collaboration and shared value, everyone can have success. 
so I'm diving all into that now, and that brought me up to Los Angeles uh, in pursuit of a more aligned lifestyle, but also just um, getting in touch with those that are kind of sharing those ideas. So what took you in that direction? Because that's a really big change from being an athlete. So how did, yeah. you, how did you get there and, and really discover your calling? The first part of that was releasing my identity as an athlete. It was for so long when someone said, who are you? What do mm-hmm. you do? I would lead with, I am an athlete. But it transitioned. You know, I think I started meditating a bit more. I started sleeping better. I became sober. I started eating differently. And all of those unlocked these little gates that brought me into a clearer, broader, larger perspective of how I want to be living. So it starts with that, and then the ownership of my identity changes. I'm like, okay, who am I really? What do I want to do? Mm-hmm. And an interesting part of this is, and I'm not sure if many people share this, but my true motivation for championing myself and pursuing what I want to truly be pursuing in this life is a, a fear of death. And that comes from losing a very close relative of mine um, when I was 18. And then about a year later, two friends of mine passed away within three months of each other. And that all hit me when I grew up kind of religious. And then with the death, I didn't really process them well. I never really talked about them. I didn't understand them fully. So I started to do that a little bit when, when I was 25. Um, and in the past two years since then, I kind of came to this conclusion uh, with myself that I'm not sure what happens after this life that I'm living right now. Mm-hmm. I do not know if I come back. I do not know if there is an afterlife for me. All I truly believe is that I'm 27. I want to live to 100. I have 73 years left. Tomorrow, I have one less day. A year from now, I have one less year. I am not willing right now to compromise any of the things that I truly want to be doing. I'm not live with life milestones. I don't need to be a certain place. I want to truly accomplish everything that I can create that I want to do until I exhaust all my resources. You know, until the bank account hits zero, until I have no place to live, no food. And then at that point, I would transition into something. But right now, it's not worth it for me to do that. Um, So I kind of have that dark motivator there. But Mm -hmm. that's probably the foundation of the motivation. And then I think the second part is how much fun it is. You know, once you, there's a lot of fear and (laughs) definitely some scary days. But I go to sleep at night and and wake up excited about it because I'm in full control. And there's a a, a definite empowerment with um, kind of navigating life like that. So how do you remain balanced? Because you're so focused on your um, career life goals, but how do you stay in balance and take care of your personal life as well and so, your, your happiness in general? Because sometimes yeah. we can be so caught up into our careers and our work that other parts of our life suffer. Right. So I don't subscribe to the need to work hundreds of hours a week. I do not subscribe to indulging in crazy luxury. I live within myself, within my means, but I'm, I think it starts where through like a meditation practice, truly for me, having mm-hmm. that kind of grounding thing has allowed me to say, okay, what means, what's important to me? And 
I carry, I think, just financial stress normally. I, I get nervous about it, and I kind of watch, watch, watch money, but I, I realize, like, what, what actually makes me happy every day? And a friend of mine kind of told me those exact words. He's like, when you're, when you're about to spend money, he's like, what are you actually spending on it? And to me, it's like, what makes me happy is I have a bike. I love riding my bike. It's like an act of meditation. It's also exercise for me. Mm-hmm. So I use that to transport me everywhere. I meditate in the morning. I eat healthy. I really nourish and treat my body with love. You know, like truly, like if, if, if you ask someone, like, hey, are you, do you love yourself? How do you speak to yourself? And I think I may have, I might take it to, to an extreme level where it's like, I have to tell my, my body and myself and my mind the truth, but also be very positive and honest with it. And checking in daily is a great way for me to do that. And an additional part is community. I, I, um, I was reading up, there's this guy, Dan Buettner, and he studies centenarians, which are people who have lived to 100. And he found these five pockets on Earth, one in Japan, Greece, Italy, Costa Rica, and one out here in California that have the largest population of centenarians. And he did research and published a book called The Blue Zone Solution about them. And one of the consistent factors in all of them was this sense of community. And that was, you know, having tea with someone, walking to the market and seeing your friend. So out here, I have that. You know, my partner lives out here. My best friend lives out here. Other really, really special, important, longtime friends are, are out here that I get to see daily or every other day. And it's really important to have that. And you make time for them. I do. Yeah, it's a priority. It's, I, I don't, since, since I don't drink... And I don't really go out to eat that much because I love to control what I'm eating. I save a lot of time, actually. Like, I, I, when I stopped drinking, I was like, well, I get a full weekend back. I can wake up Saturday at 8 a.m. and go exercise. And then what am I going to do at 10? Like, I have so much more time. Because previously, it was, let's go out Friday night till 2 or 3 in the morning. Let's sleep in until 10, 30, 11. Then we'll go to brunch and we'll start drinking again, and the day is gone, and then it's Sunday, and I lay in bed all day. And that's just wasting 48 hours of my time. But now that each day of my life I wake up energized, healthy, happy, and excited, I find more time. You know, if it's a Tuesday, and it's just a beautiful day, and I want to do a bike ride up to Malibu, I'm going to do that because I don't have a commitment or I need to do something that night or that Sunday or that Saturday. Um, uh, and technology also, I think, allows us to kind of plug in and out when we want. Yeah, absolutely. Don't just, I don't keep this normal nine to five. I, I work at different hours, but it doesn't compromise health, wellness, or sleep at any point either. You, um, in some of your writings, because I uh, read some of your writings in preparation for this interview, and in one article in particular, you talked about choices. And I know I have learned the older I get that life is made up of a series of choices. Sometimes we make good ones and sometimes not so good. (laughs) But you hope as you're learning from the bad choices that you grow into making better ones. How is that for you? It's... I think I am constantly in education. I am, I'm being educated by my choices, my decisions, and also my observations daily. It's, I, I, I think I bring it back to that transition as well. And, you know, removing alcohol from my life is a major part of that because mm-hmm. that, that kind of initiated or kickstarted poor decisions. But this, this, this power of choice, 
is, and, and what I wrote about there was, we all have the ability to choose at different times as well. You know, we may not have the ability to choose if a car crashes into us and we break it on, but we can choose how we react. We can choose how we move forward. Mm-hmm. But we have the choice at a grocery store. You choose what you buy. Today, this afternoon, I am going to choose what I'm going to do. If someone invites you somewhere, you have the choice to either say yes or no. If you don't want to go, but you choose to go, you then have the choice how you're going to participate in that. So it's at every single level. We're we're making choices every day. Every action we do is Mm -hmm. a decision or a choice to do something, but we're not evaluating them often. We're not sitting there and saying, okay, I am grabbing this water, drinking this water. I am throwing a shoe down the hallway for no reason. We're not necessarily thinking about it. It's, It's a subconscious action. But when you do slow down, and you take a little bit of time and say, okay, what am I choosing to do every day? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's as simple as, for me, what I did was I mapped out a week, you know, and I, I started on Monday. Okay, I wake up at 6 a.m. Okay, why am I choosing to wake up at 6 a.m.? It's because I want to have tea and meditate before I get on the train to go work out. Okay, why am I having tea? I'm choosing tea because of this. And it's like being very, very micro on it, mm-hmm. dissecting everything because... We'll, we'll find one of two things. We'll find alignment, which is kind of a validation for why you're living a certain way. Or you're going to find, calling these like little red highlighted choices that you're just like, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. I don't mm-hmm. agree with that. But then you continue to make the same choice day after day after day. That is, you know, it's like giving yourself a paper cut every single day, but not allowing it to heal. Mm-hmm. You just have these tiny little micro wounds on your body or your mind, your soul, every single day, and you're not healing. That's a disservice. You're wounding yourself. So what I was writing about is that, like, understanding you have the power to choose everything and, and anything or how you're going to react to it. Just allow choice to be introduced to life at, at any point. And kind of a, a final little note on that was, I, I think I wrote about it in there, but it's right now I'm at the age where there's so many weddings, bachelor parties, bachelorette parties, and often myself and friends feel this pressure. We have to go to every single one. Mm-hmm. I, was like, no, I have a choice. Like, I, I don't go to bachelor parties. I, I really don't. And it's par- partially just because the not drinking and not partying, like late night, it's just doesn't mesh as well with me. I'm like, I kind of want to go to bed at 10, not 2, and I want to wake up at 8, not 12. But, you know, sometimes it's flying across the country, taking time off from work, or you want to spend that day elsewhere. When you look back on your year and you say, all I did this year was travel for bachelor parties and weddings. So I, wrote, I wanted to include that in there just because it's, it's every single day there's a conversation about it. Mm-hmm. And I kept on hearing people, and I was like, do you guys not recognize that you can just say no? Like, you have the ability to say no, and your friends just That's a huge gift to, to yourself to be able to say no. It is, and it's, I think it's, it's probably harder than we make it seem, but I think it's, it's an exercise of just allowing yourself to start practicing it. You know, say no to something very small. Say no to dinner tonight. It's a Saturday night. Say no to any invitation you get. Do exactly what you want to do tonight for you, um, and then watch that grow. And I think if you get to the point where you are more mindful of it, then your yeses become that much more pleasurable to you. Definitely. I I would agree with that. And in um, thinking of life as a series of choices and in being mindful of that as well, I think if you get in that 
constant habit of stopping, thinking, and choosing, I think it prepares you for the challenging times in life, too. Because like for me, I suffered a devastating personal loss a few years ago. And at some point in my healing process from the grief, I had to make a choice as to whether or not I was going to be happy or stay sad and miserable. So Mm -hmm. when you can conquer choices, it prepares you for the hard stuff as well as the as the good and the easier things. Yeah. And I think speaking to what you just described there, like you had the choice how you were going to move forward and react. We may not always have the choice of what comes on to us, but we have the choice on how we're going to move forward. Are we going to persevere through something? Are we going to let something discourage us and drag us down? Mm-hmm. There is, it's, we always have that choice. It's not easy. It does take practice. It takes being mindful. It takes, you know, evaluation daily. But is it that important to you? If it is, you will do it. If you're sick and tired of actually harming yourself, like I'm going to say when you choose against what you want, you're, you're harming yourself. That's self-harm. If it matters and means enough to you, then you'll you know, adopt it and you'll start really looking at those choices. One thing that you have addressed is rock bottom and failure. And I think that you addressed it <laughs> in a healthy way to not be yes. afraid to fail, that everything in life is not going to go perfectly, and uh, you may hit some stumbling blocks, and you may have some just outright absolute failures, but then again, you still choose to move on. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite familiar with what my rock bottom looks like right now, and uh, there's two things that I'll say here. One is going to be just about the power and how you can just navigate life so boldly once you do identify it. And the other part is about um, how failure, we can replace that word with learning. But this, it's, it's that first one. So you, you asked me earlier about how, like how I made these, these decisions, what helps me kind of traverse forward without being discouraged daily when something happens. And I had this, this was about a year ago. I was, I was working, um, and I was enjoying it, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. It, it was one of those times where people say, hey, so what do you do for work? And you tell them, but then you kind of pause. And, oh, but I, but I also write. I'm also a poet. I also create ideas and design these things. And it's like, okay. I kind of made, I recognize it's like, damn, I, I want to tell people that's what I do. So in order for me to really do it, I, I was scared. It's like, am I going to succeed at this? Am I going to fail? I don't know. But what's the worst that can happen? And for me, the worst that could happen, and my situation is different than others, but the worst that can happen is I moved to Los Angeles. I can't pay rent. I sleep on friends' couches until they kick me out. I have no place to stay. I can't buy food. I have no job prospects. I have to fly back to Boston and move into my parents' basement and stay there and kind of regroup for a couple months. That's the worst that can happen, right, without maybe physical injury or some other circumstance that I can't be predicting. but say everything goes normal and I just fail and nothing works. That was my rock bottom. That's, as, that's the worst that it could get. The funny thing was I was living in my parents' basement. Like I was already at what I would consider the worst, my rock bottom. And I was thriving. I was enjoying it. So knowing that and just kind of being like, okay, I have this little net that I'll fall into. It'll be a deep fall. I'll be embarrassed. I'll probably introverse myself for a little not tell friends what I'm doing, uh, but I'll, I'll come back and I'll be okay. So why not go for it? 
you know, why not just step out, put the backpack on, zip up the coat and say, all right, I'm going to go for it. And I'm going to see how long this can go. And I check in with that often. Um, I'm aware of it, but I know that I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to be making this work. I don't want to go back there. I want to stay out here and figure out ways to do it. The, the other part about kind of like addressing failure is not as clear. The division between success and failure is not this just line that says, oh, you're succeeding. How are you succeeding? Well, what's our definition of success? And that's a conversation we could have. Like, is it just pure income? Is it happiness? Is it quality of work? Is it impact on others? It's, it's a mix. But failure, is failure not having any of that? It's failure if you try something for three years and it just doesn't work. Is that failure? No, it's not. It's maybe that didn't work and it's not the highest level of success, but take a step back. For 36 months, you just learn something every single day. Like you are weaponizing yourself with knowledge. That is another shift in just kind of language we use. It's like you're either succeeding or you're learning. You are not failing. You're either succeeding or you're learning. And that's it. I'm not even going to entertain this idea of failure because it's just negative. And it's, it kind of has like this, this victimization where it's like, oh, I failed. No, you didn't fail. What you were working on did not meet your expectations of success. But sit down. Tell me everything that went wrong. Tell me everything that went right. Let's, and if you can identify what went wrong, you learned. So now let's go back. You either succeeded or you were learning. There is no failure allowed there. That's a beautiful way of looking at it. And, and it's so important to be able to frame things in a more positive way. And that's exactly what that is. It's like reframing our thoughts around failure. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, it, it really is. And it, it, it helps me. Like it, It's one of the things that I tell myself, I'm like, okay, if, if all the projects and ideas that I work on right now, if, if they don't succeed, a year from now, I have a portfolio. You know, I can go to someone and say, like, if, if none of my writing ever took off, I can at least go in and say, hey, I wrote 100 personal essays over the course of a year. And they're like, okay, you did the work. You know, let's, let's see what you can work. Maybe you become a copywriter. And then I learn skills and go up there. If none of my poetry is taken on into any books or sites or in any installation, I am at least learning and I'm, I'm, I'm practicing the craft, but it's not failure. Talk about what it is that um, you do with the businesses that you work with. You've had some amazing partnerships and uh, business experiences. So what are some of the yes. things that you can do for businesses? So there's the, the personal stuff, like kind of the freelance and the consultant work that I do is specific to, you know, brand strategy, content creation, kind of like this business development whole part, like everything from PR placement brand partnerships saying like, okay, who are you going to be aligned with? And I think that returns to my idea that I believe that shared values and collaboration, everyone does succeed. So if you're aligning your business or your product or your brand with something that's going to funnel in a larger audience, potential customers or people to be working with, I think it's important. One uh, kind of like the, the note that the asterisk I'll put on there is that I am very I believe in being bold. I, as a consumer, I'm constantly just looking at a billboard, looking at a commercial, looking at a product placement, looking at the voice someone is using, language. And I get frustrated when I see things that are just like par for the course and they don't take risks. I think risks are rewarded when they are 
done right. Mm-hmm. And I think, I believe in kind of like my vision, my voice, my ideas, that they amplify what brands are trying to do. I also have the benefit of not being intimately related to the brand, the product. It's like, you know, when you go in and there's a, there's 10 people who've been working on something for two years, they have all the blood, sweat, and tears, and they, they're so married to this one idea. But when you come in there and you're like, all right, put them in the jar, I'm going to shake them all up and let's see what comes out. There's, it, it's tough, right? It's like, no, hey, try this. Please, will you try this? Let's try this. How about this? Um, but at the end, the, the product is, is really cool. It, it, it's great to see that. Because um, I think things just need to stand out, you know, in a, in a world in, of black, white, and gray, why not be neon orange? <laughs> and what do you do to get over any resistance that you might face? Because sometimes I can imagine dealing with a company, um, especially if you're dealing with heads of a company, that that's been their baby, their company, and they have a tendency to maybe be stuck in one mindset of branding or whatever. And if they're really resistant or hesitant about your ideas, how do you win them over? I Yeah, I think past work is definitely something that helps and they can speak to it. It's like, listen, like, you don't have to work with me. You don't have to do it. Like, I am... I'm fine to walk away from this if you don't want to take that risk and there's no hard feelings there. But look at the rock bottom. You know, what? what's the worst that's going to happen if you take this risk and you check off all the boxes? Are we doing something that's right? Are we harming anyone? No. Is anyone's feelings going to be hurt? No. It's like we're just trying something bold for our brand, our product, our company. And we'll put some metrics down to see, does this work? If not, then we walk away. You know, if, if you don't want to take that risk, that's fine with me as well. But having a proven track record on, on creating stuff and kind of working with these, these higher brands is something that they say, okay, there's a little bit of trust there. At the end of the day, though, I, I think it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. I don't know the best way to word it, but I have a lot of passion and I get really excited when we create these things. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is new. No one would think like this or try this. Let's definitely do it. It never comes across as like, oh, I just want to pass off this idea. It's just like, no, like I, get, I genuinely get that excited. Um, and I want everyone to be happy with it. Well, I think that uh, our listeners from checking out this interview could definitely tell that you get excited and passionate for what you do. <laughs> and I hope that the folks that have been listening will get something from this too, and that it'll light a fire under them to really look at your personal goals and things that you want to accomplish. Because too often, it's easy to get stuck in like a day-to-day grind And you put those personal passions and things that you would actually love to be doing in the back burner. And then you go 20, 30 years and you look back and think, well, I coulda, shoulda, woulda. So hopefully we have uh, lit a fire under you guys listening and that Richie's passion is infectious. And get it going because if he can already be here at 27, then definitely we have something to learn and catch up with you, Richie. (laughs) Yes, I am. Yeah, that, that, like, you just excited me against what we are. It's like, I'm listening now. I've been like, oh, wow, I wonder what they just talked about. I'm going to go back and listen to, like, what it, it was our words. Um, yeah, it, it really is. I think that coulda, shoulda, woulda. Yeah. That, that group, we need to, like, put some sort of name on that group of words and just be like, the uddas. Like, let's just not use the uddas. We don't want to have uddas no. five years now or ten years from now. But if you have them, why not do it? Like it can, it could be super simple. If someone's just like, oh, I wanted to start an ice cream business or a smoothie business, and I have these recipes, do it. You know, buy 
buy a URL, um, get like a year on Squarespace or Wix, open up your social media accounts, reach out to some companies, do one event, and then it's either, it's real. If you hate it and you say, wow, that was not what I wanted, then you walk away from it. Mm-hmm. But then you don't, you don't have this, oh, I could have done this, I should have done that, I wish I did that. You did it, you didn't like it, move on. You know, there's... There's and taking those chances also, it builds confidence, I think. When yeah, you can oh, get over that sure. fear and just yeah. do it. And even if it doesn't work out the way that you want it to, you can say, wow, I really tried. I actually yeah. took that <laughs> leap of faith. And I think it can embolden you to then try something else. I have this, this really bad habit or advice that if I see a high bridge or cliff over a body of water, I am very tempted to jump off of it into the water because it's like this rush, this thrill. I want to do a 50-foot jump, an 80-foot jump. And every time before it, it's like that fear, right? You're just you're paralyzed by that fear of mm-hmm. something. But then once you do it and you have a lot of fun, you get this rush, it happens. You, you hear people are scared to make the phone call. They're scared to speak. We're not, let's not say scared. They're nervous or they have a little bit of stress or anxiety around it. Um, But the repetition, doing it, doing it more, doing it again, doing it again, you get more comfortable and you do build that confidence. Mm -hmm. And then, gosh, a confident person who believes in themselves is, that might be one of like the boldest and most strongest things someone can do. Like when when someone walks into a room and just totally owns themselves, it's just like, you pay attention to that. And you're like, what are they doing? I want some of that. And they're just like, oh, I'm I'm on the confidence again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you have plenty of that, Richie, I'm sure. (laughs) And it has been such a pleasure uh, meeting you and having you on the podcast. So before um, we completely end out here, how can people connect with you on social media or whatever? Yeah, so I'll I'll send you all those links, but I'm on Instagram, um, Facebook, LinkedIn. I'll also provide my personal email is richardcrowleyiv at gmail.com. All of those are great. And then... Um, the companies I work on, one is the greeting card business called My Poet is a Pervert, and we also have the health and wellness company called Wild But Well. And we're actually tomorrow announcing um, our Wild Weekend, where we, we kind of just wanted to make health and wellness a bit more accessible to people. So they, they come out for a weekend, 72 hours, as opposed to like a 10-day retreat, because mm-hmm. we, we didn't want people to, to have to take five days off of work and spend $5,000 and fly to Costa Rica. We're just like, you know what, here, it's going to be local to you. It's affordable, but we're going to bring in the speakers, do all the classwork, and, and give you some some incredible goods on the way out just to so you can continue your education. But, um, yeah, I'll send you all of these links to, to have them up so anyone can reach out to me. But I will respond to every single person um, and spend as much time as we need to on the phone or meeting in person if anyone's in Los Angeles and... If you're ever out here, I don't know if I'm going to be coming to the polar vortex of the Midwest. But <laughs> yeah, I would say uh, wait until spring or summer, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I'll have to do that. These, the weather reports and your um, your first-person report is not enticing me to get on a plane and fly east into that right now. Oh, definitely not. <laughs> well, thank you also for restoring our faith in millennials. After talking to you, I am a 
fully confident that we are in good hands as <laughs> with people like you um, who are going to take our country into the future. So I think we're in great hands. So once again, for you listeners, please give Richie a shout out at our Get Happy With Jay Facebook page or the website GetHappyWithJay.com. And also, I will have all the links for you to be able to check out Richie and his work in the blurb with that goes along with this podcast. So um, read the written blog that accompanies the podcast and you will see those links so you can be able to check him out and uh, grab on to some of that infectious <laughs> excitement. So once again, thank you, Richie, for joining me and for all of our listeners until next week, do something to make yourself happy. It's not selfish, it's self care. And check out Richie and his work, because I'm sure that'll make you happy as well. Take care. Thank you.